Welcome to All Villa, No Filler. Please subscribe to the show. Aston Villa have started the season with some big wins, but also a couple of big losses. Today, I'm joined by football journalist, the excellent Sam Tai, to review the start of the season and look ahead to Villa's tour of Europe. Sam, welcome back to All Villa, No Filler. Oh, finally. It's <laughs> yeah. a bit of a cu- couple of months, Frankie. Did I, did I offend you last time? Goodness yeah, me. Uh, that- I was waiting for a hot day, you see. It hasn't been, it hasn't been a hot day for about two months. So, Because uh, we seem to always record on very, very hot days. Um, we do, but, yeah. We, we seem to enjoy the sight of each other looking very sweaty. Uh, I remember yeah. by the end of the last show that we did, we were both like, like that. So it's probably going to be the same today. Yeah. England, huh? That, yeah, and that's just the fear of talking about Villa. It gets you sweaty, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but anyway, so look, you know, as I said, you know, Villa have started the season a bit of a mixed bag. Um, how would you assess Villa's start to the season? Don't know. It's um. <laughs> I've been sat. I've been sat here trying to figure out if basically are we any good, and I don't know the answer because obviously there have been more wins than losses, and there have been some big wins as you say, but the losses really stick out for the wrong reasons. The scoreline, either way, always seems to be pretty comprehensive, mm. which is which is weird. Like like Villa haven't really played a close game yet. They've either trounced somebody or been trounced. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the, the wins have come against, I think we have to accept weak opposition. Everton are clearly very poor. Yeah. And um, Burnley are clearly very poor. Uh, they're a better footballing side than Everton, but they're significantly more naive off the ball yeah. and played into Villa's hands there and played into the hands of a team with with just superior quality and more experience. And of course, the Hibernian games are even easier than the Everton games. So what can you take from that? It's very hard to say. You feel like you need, you want to take more from the losses. And mm. I accept mitigating circumstances. I accept that Anfield and St. James's Park are exceptionally difficult venues to play football in. And I also accept that a key injury in defence in both games early on destabilised the team to a point that it is very difficult to recover from. But the early goals... And the reshuffling and the consequent collapse, the pressing issues, the highline issues, like it's hard to look at it, isn't it? And 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 say that you're feeling particularly confident about Villa right now when they mm. come up against anybody that is of equal or superior quality to them, which is definitely not the hallmark of Unai Emery's Aston Villa last season, because the defensive record, no matter who Villa played against, was pretty spectacular. And of course, Villa were the ones that went over to Anfield and finished off that Liverpool win streak once Trent had moved into the midfield Villa were the ones that stopped that you know it was all it was innovative it was solid it was it was it was composed we simply have not seen that so far in those two games and like you know there have been a lot of injuries to start the season um you know obviously Tyra Ming's got that knee injury which could put him out for the season Emi Buendia same uh Moreno's out Ramsey's out how impactful do you think those injuries have been and will continue to be. Yeah, I mean, losing your entire left side <laughs> is 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 pretty tough, isn't it? And yeah. the the left side was was fantastic last season. You know, yeah. obviously Moreno really emerging as the kind of piston like presence at left back, where the the formation kind of swung around and tried to give him space to play into and to run into with the ball. He was the one that was getting into the box. He was providing cutbacks and crosses and and, and joining up the play. And obviously Ramsey's Ramsey. Like the big difference, obviously, in a game at Anfield or a, or a game, you know, against Newcastle here this season compared to last is you remember how good Ramsey was 
in the win against Newcastle at Villa Park. Like yeah. when when Mings was punching those passes into him and he was able to sort of step inside into the half space, receive the ball, body off someone, turn and go and create that transitional moment. You know, Villa really lacked that. They, they kind of got steamrolled a little bit at St. James's Park in midfield and and again at Anfield. And, and it's easy to look at the qualities that Ramsey brings on the half turn and the physical uh, like running that he's got and ball carrying and think, well, yeah, that's really what was missing. But it, it cannot be the only excuse for what we saw at Anfield, mm. which was a, a lack of pressure up front, which gave Trent Alexander-Arnold room to get his head up and time to get his head up. And then, of course, room in behind. He's got high line plus no pressure. It's, it's suicidal stuff. It, you know, We all know this. And you've got Darwin. After watching what he did against Newcastle the week before against Dan Byrne, you know, just clipping that ball in behind and letting him chase it. And you've got the pace of Salah and you've got Luis Diaz on the switch, the cross ball. It was pretty mind-boggling stuff, wasn't it? So yes, yes, impactful injuries. And I do put the Newcastle game down to trauma more than anything. Yeah. Because they lost Emi Buendir on the eve of it and then they lost Tyrone Mings, you know, 20 minutes in. It's difficult to recover from. But yeah. by the point you get to Anfield, you've actually won four games of football. Yeah. And they're by significant margins. So I'm struggling. I'm struggling to let them hide behind those excuses for that one, even if Carlos did obviously go off early. Yeah, and you know, um, I guess with the defense, I mean, it is a, weirdly now it's a defense that hasn't really ever played together very much. You know, Carlos was out for a year effectively. Uh, mm. Pal Torres is now coming in as a new signing. Ezri Cons is there. You know, he's experienced with Villa, but not really played with these other defenders that much. So it feels a little bit like Villa. Are, and maybe Emery himself is trying to work out what the what's the best with these guys. But um, you know, Pal Torres, I guess, is the one who's come in with the big money signings. He's got a big name and um looked exceptional, you know, when Villa are on the ball and the more front-footed team. But in those two games, you know, Newcastle, you could probably get you have to give him some leeway in that, I think. But Liverpool, there were some causes for concern there. Do you do you, do you agree with that? Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, look, you know, you know that I'm not Pal Torres's biggest fan. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you and, and and others, other people listening or watching will have seen the YouTube video that I did on, on Tifo when he signed. And I was like, not sure, not sure, not sure. But obviously I still wanted to succeed and get behind him. And yes, I will give him a, I will give him a, a basically a buy for Newcastle because he was on the bench for a reason. Right. right. Emery did not want to play Paul Torres in that game. He either wasn't ready, wasn't fit for the game in terms of the stylistic matchup, which I think proved to be the case. Um, or just didn't want to chuck him in at St. James's Park on you know the opening day. Like that is difficult. It's yeah. really difficult. But of course, he he was forced to put him in and it went badly. Fine. We'll just draw a line under that one and we'll just forget about that. Even even a critic like myself of his can say that's not fair to start to start bashing him for that. But Anfield, yeah, Anfield was, was a bit was a bit dodgy. Um they set some pressing traps for him that he walked, he walked straight into blindfolded. Obviously, loses the ball in the box for the corner that turns out to be Jobajloy's first goal, or, uh, the opening goal. I mean, again, hell of a strike. What the ex- oh, the XG yeah. on that must be minuscule, um, but he creates he creates a problem for Villa there. And um, I don't think Villa are going to be that strong at defending corners without Tyrone Mings this season. I think it's going to be a problem. So if Villa are handing out corners, then they're making a rod for their own back, and Torres has done that. You look back at the Burnley game and he's stepping forward with the ball, you know, beating a man-to-man press and striding out and then and then firing passes through. He's he's pivotal to the ball progression. Yeah. And you look at Liverpool and he's he's kind of got bullied, hasn't he? Yeah. He's walked into some pressing traps and physically he's really, really struggled. 
And to be honest, the Burnley goal that Villa conceded, he wasn't wasn't covering himself in glory for that, was he? So even in even in the a very strong win, a very comprehensive win, he's not he's had a moment there where you're like, oh, I'm not too sure about that. Do you have any fears that the Mings injury might be a bit of a sliding doors moment? In the, I, mean, I promise people listen to this, it is going to get more positive, but believe it, we're just, <laughs> we're just assessing some of these. Um, but with the Mings injury, is it a slight sliding doors moment? And do you wonder whether maybe Torres would have been more, more proactively used in like the Burnley-Everton games when Villa are more front-footed? And then maybe when it comes to you know the Liverpool aways and the Newcastle aways, Maybe Mings would have been the player who starts those, and Torres is a sort of more of a bench option. It's a very good question because it's now impossible to answer. Yeah. So, my I like to believe the answer is yes. However, it does not appear that Unai Emery cares about whether or not this Villa backline has what I would consider to be the requisite level of physicality and aggression. Right. Because in response to the Pau Torres, uh, sorry, excuse me, in response to the Tyrone Mings injury, they did very little or nothing for 10 days. And then right at the last moment, decided to go and get Clermont Longley as cover. Mm-hmm. Now, Longley, he profiles pretty similarly to Pau Torres in some ways. Yeah. The only that he's slower than Pau Torres, but he is good on the ball. Um, he is past his best, but he's still been at a Barcelona level. And there was a time where Longley and Piquet... I mean, I watched them play together in a, a partnership in, in a Clasico when Barcelona won 3-0. Like, he's no slouch. Yes, he was a he was a late addition and it was a needs must and it's cover. But, like, this guy, this guy brings the European experience that we've been saying, this squad lacks. Yeah. Like, this is actually quite a smooth move. However, he's quite slow and he is relatively timid. So... He is not in any way a Tyrone Mings replacement. The only similarity they really hold is that they're both left-footed. So in opting for Longley as the the kind of Mings cover for the season, again, you're assuming the idea that you need to get bigger and more physical and, and better at defending the box. And you're leaning into the idea that actually you're prioritising that build-up play and right. prioritising progression from the back line. So... Do I actually think that Emery had an eye on Mings there as uh let's let's sub him in for the big for those games and then let's bring Torres in for when you dominate against but I I can't get behind that idea as much as I want it to be true mm-hmm. because I just feel like Emery has, has shown no no courtesy for physicality in the line. He's almost gone, ah, I don't need that, which I disagree with. Yeah, I think particularly in the Premier League, I think physicality is just something of a must, really, isn't it? It is such a it is just that type of a league. And, um, you know, looking at it, I mean, the game the game I sort of have one eye on, really. I know we have Crystal Palace next, Warsaw as well in Europe. We'll talk about Europe in a minute. But uh, Palace is probably a game where I think Villa will try to be more front-footed. I certainly have some fears about Eberichi Eze. And, you know, the, but I, I, I'm confident Villa can go into that game and, you know, take, take the lead there, really. But uh, Chelsea away. Now, I know Chelsea aren't very good. Uh, and I did watch quite a lot of their game against Forest. Um, and Forest basically won that by sitting back and hitting them on the break. Villa, I don't think really are going to do want to do that. I think Villa are going to try and take the game to them. And, you know, it worked last season when we beat them 2-0. But um, again, like, do you, do you think, you know, with a game like Chelsea where the, the opposition team are probably going to have more of the ball and a bit more attacking and players who can run in behind. Do you think Villa might need to look at what happened at Newcastle and Liverpool and maybe change it up a little bit tactically? 
I think so, yeah. I mean, we, we sort of touched on it already, but playing the high line and then lacking pressure uh, up top is a bit of a death sentence in this league. I mean, it's a death sentence almost anywhere, to be fair, in football. Um, and when you consider the opposition attacker profiles, like Nicholas Jackson is very fast and he's a great two-way player because he's, he's really good at taking the ball in and bringing his his uh, attacking midfielders into play. Yeah. But he's also just, he can also just take the lid off the defence and just, and just run him behind. He can just spin and go. He's, he's that kind of player. Raheem Sterling is an exceptional footballer at running in behind, an exceptional footballer at, at carrying the ball aggressively and quickly at players. So... Mudrick is one of the quickest players in the Premier League. Like I look at the I look at the cast of attackers that you would come up against there, and I would say, can they do what Newcastle and Liverpool did? Abs- absolutely, like absolutely they can. So you do one of two things: you either drop the line and you become a little bit more reactive, move into kind of like a low block or a mid block, uh, and just sit a little bit deeper on the pitch and remove that space in behind. Or you actually be active and press from the front and protect your high line, which we just haven't really quite seen in those two games. We, we've seen Villa just let the high line get exposed. There's got to be a reaction of one one sort or the other there. Um, it's not as essential against Palace, I would agree with you there. But for the Chelsea game, which Villa should have an eye on and say, I think we can, I think we can win this game if we play well. Yeah, there's got to be an adjustment. There just has to be. And this was the complaint at Liverpool. We saw all this happen last year at Anfield. Yeah. Like Villa were the team to stop Trent for the first time. Liverpool won eight games in a row. Yeah. And then Villa went to Anfield and got a point. They were the first team to stop Liverpool in their new alignment. They planned for it very specifically. John McGinn, Ollie Watkins, really specific roles in pressure on Fabinho and Trent. Did not let them exploit those gaps. Where was that last week? I hope to see it against Chelsea. Otherwise, it could be another difficult game. Completely. That press in the front. I wonder if Ramsey coming back by that point hopefully might add something and maybe, maybe means yeah. could move out right or uh, McGinn could move out right um just something along those lines um but you know we, we've sort of focused on some of the frustrations I guess and some of the like, more the questions I guess about that have been raised but you know have there been uh some real positives to you as well I mean there have been you know in a minute mm-hmm. amongst that some really good wins as well and some really um excellent football play going forward I mean so what what to you are the positives would you say so Ollie Watkins bagging a hat trick on Villa's first European game in 13 years was absolutely awesome. <laughs> uh, huge smile on my face to see that. Uh, I've seen lots of good things from Musa Diaby. He does yeah, at he least does. four things a game where I go, "You are exactly as good as we hoped you'd be." Yeah, and you know, coming from the scars of Leon Bailey, that's a really important early marker to set down. Yeah, I think Douglas Louise has largely been very, very good. Um, I think it's 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 between him and Esri Concer for me that have basically I think in every game I've seen so far, and I appreciate Concer made the, the big error against Newcastle, but I look at them in most games and I think, yep, you're up to it, you're tuned in, you're okay. I've had sporadic concerns about almost everybody else for one reason or another. Um be it Paul Torres' physicality, be it Luca Dean's lack of speed. It could be the fact that Bubakar camera has been very up and down. Watkins yeah. did nothing off the ball at Anfield, and I do not understand why. McGinn looked really uncomfortable on the left against Newcastle. Like I've got a whole long list, Frankie. But for <laughs> Douglas Louise and Esri Concer, I'm very happy with them. Like I'm yeah. very happy with Concer's like suitability for three or four different roles according to what Uno Emery wants to do. And I'm really happy with Doug. Like, uh, he's one of my favorite. He's just fantastic, isn't he? I, I don't need to tell anybody that. But 
yeah, those would be the, the the real positives that I can draw from that. And and McGinn against Burnley was was exceptional. Yeah, he was exceptional against Everton as well. I, I went to the Everton game where um, McGinn, I just came out of it like, when he's on it, when he's in really top form, he looks like an absolutely fantastic player. Um, and I said after, I was like, if my, if Alex Ferguson was still in charge at Man United, I was like, that's exactly who we'd go for. Just somebody that level of like ability yeah. and probably could reach a level higher than a lot of people anticipate. Because look at the players who won trophies under Alex Ferguson, you know, and I think McKinn would just be one of them. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, Musa Diaby as well. I remember talking to you about him and um, you saying no complaints with this signing. And uh, again, watching yeah. him. Just yeah, I, well, I'd complained about everything, hadn't I, at that point? <laughs> um, pr- pretty much. I'd done that video about, you know, my concerns over Villa signing. So I, I just wanted to, again, you try and balance it where possible. Like, Diaby is an exceptional footballer. I was like, I have no complaints here. He's exactly what Villa need. He's a brilliant, brilliant player. Mm-hmm. Um, the contrast between him and Bailey, the way Diaby can can, can spin out of pressure and ride, ride contact versus how Leon Bailey finds contact and just hits the deck every time. Yeah. Is that the contrast is so significant and it's so important for Villa there? And you know, Bailey steps on. I don't need to keep ratting on him, but like he's obviously frustrated us all. And he steps onto the pitch, doesn't he, uh, at Liverpool due to the injury reshuffle. And do you know that weird thing he did with his legs where he immediately lost the ball? He tried to sort of turn out of two players pressing him and he looked like he was on ice skates and he just kind of fell over and lost it. And I was like, oh, I just. (laughs) You know, Diaby is now making this even more unbearable because Diaby <laughs> yeah. is like his t- touch perfect. Yeah, and it feels like he's balanced out the team. The left hand side was where all of Villa's sort of danger came from last season. It feels like mm. you know Cash scored a couple playing front right, Bailey scored against Everton, and it feels like the two of them have come alive because Diaby's there making runs yeah. and something to work with. Um, so, what, so, so what happens when Moreno and Ramsey are reunited on the left? And the Abbey is providing that balance on the right, just t- tucking into that half space. I mean, like it, it could it could be a, a, an attack and a midfield that is very, very difficult for opponents to figure out where to even start with. Yeah. In a similar way, I would argue that Villa experienced at Anfield, where it's not just Trent now. You know, you've got Zobosli running around like a maniac yeah. and also providing real quality between the lines. You've got Alexis picking passes. You've got Darwin over the top. You've got Salah into feet. The variety to that attacking unit is now so much that it's very difficult to know where to start. Yeah, and you might I... plug one hole and then another one just springs open. Yeah, and when Ramsey and Moreno are back, I do get that feeling that that will be similar with Villa. Yeah, and Zobazai was really good, I thought, against uh, Villa. Um, just Liverpool generally, their press and their pressing structure yep. was really impressive. Um, yep. But uh, you know, looking ahead to um, Europe, uh, you know, Villa have made it through. Beat hips. Um, you know, we're we're, we're <laughs> back. One. Yeah, we're back, baby. Um, so uh, you know the draw. We've got uh, Alkmaar, Lechia, Warsaw, and Zrinski of, of Mostar in Bosnia. Um, what do you feel about the draw? Well, I don't know very much about two of the teams, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is which is the joy of of Europe and and the joy of the Conference League. Like I, I know, I mean, I cover European football for a living, but I absolutely just don't know very much about about teams from Poland and Bosnia and you'll, you'll just have to uh, you'll just have to forgive me for that um yeah. I know plenty about AZ Alkmaar and I know that they are a significantly weaker team than they were last year so I think Villa fans may have got a little bit spooked potentially if you saw that obviously been drawn against the team that finished in the semi-finals last year yeah and were knocked out in a very close game against uh, West Ham 
but they've sold like five key players right. over the summer. Um, so, and obviously with in the in the way that those kind of clubs do in that in in that kind of pecking order, they reinvest in youth and they and they wait for that youth to then grow into a better player and they probably sell it on again. But when you do that, when you get to the end of that cycle and you sell five players, you are immediately a worse team. Mm-hmm. So this is not going to be the the AZ Altmar that 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 gave West Ham a lot of problems. You know, they don't have, you know, Rangers who who went to Milan. They don't have Hadzidiakos who for some reason went to Cagliari. They don't have Jesper Carlson um, who moved on as well at left wing. They do have a couple of good players still, but like it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a significantly lesser force. So it's a group I would expect Villa to win. And mm-hmm. I'm loving the look of match day one, obviously away is perfect. I think. Um, and it's to, it's to Legia Warsaw as well, mm-hmm. which should be a good one. And I expect to win there too. Yeah, what a fantastic away day. Um, if you, I mean, Alkmaar would be an interesting one after what happened with the Nolsey and the West Ham fans uh, last year. Yeah. So, <laughs> staying once, away, I'm staying away from that one. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think I don't think I'll be uh, Villa's version of Nolsey. I don't think I've got the build for it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, yeah, Europe is uh, is fantastically exciting, and just like seeing even the Hibs game recently, where Villa, you know, went into it five 0 up, but that full house and the under the floodlights and the noise, and it took me back to you know because you know a lot of Villa fans I saw you know on Twitter just saying you know they hadn't seen an away atmosphere like that as well, and uh, it just took me back to think, God, there are a lot of Villa fans now who you know are old enough and. Don't probably just don't remember us playing, you know, uh, you know, the heady heights of Rapid Vienna, and, uh, but you know, Ajax, Ajax at home is the one that I would always point to. Not Rapid Vienna. Yeah. I mean, I went, I went, I was at the game. Um, I was at the playoff loss at home, right? Um, which was just obviously devastating. Yeah. Um, so that sucks. I remember the banner they unfurled uh, at the top at the at the top of the stand. Uh, which was your nightmare returns, and it was true. Um, I, I, I think Villa have come a long way uh, since then, but um, yeah, that 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 had that, that certainly had me going. And the, the truth be told, I was like convinced that we were going to lose the playoff round, and I was like, it's going to be ruined again. But obviously, Hibbert made short work of Hibernian, so six more at least. That's good. Yeah, uh, yeah, can't wait. And uh, you know, uh, just to sort of sum it up, I guess you know. Looking ahead, you know, there's a few questions, but there's also quite a lot of po- quite a few positives as well from the start of the season. I guess, like looking ahead, like how do you feel about the season now, sort of overall? You know, if you could sort of project, you know, where you think it might go. So, while I'm obviously frustrated with uh, the big losses mm. and the performances that have been attached to those. Not being right on it in the Premier League is doesn't bother me that much because I think the reality of Villa's season was always going to boil down to this: get through the group in Europe, get to February, and look at the look at the draw and be like, we can win this. And like Villa are currently the bookies' favourites to win the Europa Conference League. Now there's going to be some teams that drop down from the Europa League. I mean, it may even include West Ham. Probably not, but you never know. You never know who comes down and it will cloud the cloud the matter. However, right now, as Villa see it, should be getting through the group and iron up winning this trophy. If that's ever a realistic possibility, there is going to be a point in February or March where Unai Emery goes, I do not have the resources to go full frontal in Europe and full frontal in the Premier League. And he's going to have to make a decision. He's going to have to make a decision on what his priority is. And I think everyone will be behind him if he goes Conference League. Now, don't do what Martin O'Neill did and send the children to Russia 
and then have to buy everyone dinner. Like we'll <laughs> all understand if you go with you go with the Conference League. So I think Villa's ceiling in the Premier League this season is eighth or ninth, and they might end up finishing tenth. But if that leads to a run at a trophy, Europe or domestic, everyone will be fine with that. Because realistically, how do Villa take the next step in their progression? It's 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 to win a trophy. Yeah. The top seven is even harder to get in this year than it was last year. And yeah. and we got in in like incredible and, and barely believable circumstances. So being slightly off the pace and still figuring it out and starting a little bit slowly doesn't bother me that much. Because I think Villa's biggest games this year will fall on Thursdays, and I think they'll come in February and March. And the Premier League, well, we can't obviously discount it. It's 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 clearly the bread and butter. There'll be a time in early 2024 where there's a decision made where that that is then the second best thing in the calendar. Uh, so that's how I feel. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm intrigued to see how this all sort of pans out for sure. And uh, you know, there could be some tough away days coming up. And you know, let's say we get a Besiktas. And you know, we're yep. Fenerbahce and a really loud, tough atmospheres. And I, you know, I could see that if you know, let's say we got that, we got through the uh group, got in, got over to February, and you sort of you eyes on games like that, you know, it's uh, that'd be I could see that taking precedence to be honest and being a real 100%, big yep. focus. Um, but yeah, interesting how it all goes. But so, Sam, it's always excellent to talk to you, I love chatting to you about football generally and particularly about the villa. Um, but for those you know, who uh, maybe not sure about where your work is, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, all sorts of places now, yeah. I'm a freelance writer and journalist and, and broadcaster, so Sky Sports, uh, ESPN, TIFO on YouTube, uh, a few other places here and there, whoscored.com as well, uh, all sorts. Yeah, whoever offers me work, that's the life of a freelancer, you know that, Frankie. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Twitter, it's S-Tie T-I-G-H-E, and same on threads <laughs> so no one use that anymore and yeah. uh and instagram as well if you do want to follow me